0: Greetings, brothers and sisters in Christ, and welcome to the Innocence Redeemed Podcast. I'm your host, Ray Bergman, and the title of today's episode is, Are You Really Walking in His Ways? You know, in other words, the title poses an honest question that, when the Lord sees our actions, how much of himself is he seeing there? So, this episode came about because I was sitting with the Lord a few nights back, and I was pointed in spirit to read Jeremiah chapter 8. And I went to go review it, and he spoke to me that many have been wrongly taught or have believed in false doctrines of just because they accept Jesus, that they can do no wrong. You know, in other words, they believe once saved, always saved, and that they can continue going on sinning. And they believe that everything they do is just automatically forgiven, and they can infinitely remain in his grace while they continue to sin. And there's also an issue that once the truth has been witnessed... Many reject it and continue to remain obstinate. Ladies and gentlemen, let me just state first and foremost, if you believe that, that is an apostate way of thinking. And there are consequences if you're walking contrary to what the Lord says. You know, if you continue to knowingly walk contrary to the Lord, at some point, that repentance stops being poured out and you become reprobate. You know, he gives you over to a reprobate mind. And believe it or not, There are those who believe the prophecies in the word do not apply to them. And they think, oh, that's only for the wicked. No, that applies to those who don't remain in the vine, who don't remain in him. They are applicable to the wicked, but they're also reserved for those who are not abiding in the Lord. And so if your walk is contrary to him and you are serving the evil one, then that shows who you're actually serving. You know, Jesus said, quoting Matthew 12, verse 30, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. That means you're to be a shining example. You're not the lamp that gets hidden. You're to be a shining example for others in the way you live. And the way you live should represent Christ Jesus. Even Jesus said to Satan when he was being tempted, quoting Matthew 4, 4, Get thee hint, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Note, him only shalt thou serve. Deuteronomy 10.20 says, You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. So in other words, you cannot serve Satan and hide in darkness while playing church. You know, in other words, if you do that, you're backslidden. And what the Lord is appealing to you is to return to him and begin living for him and walking with him. Now, I want to share Jeremiah 8, because Jeremiah 8 references Jerusalem, but all you have to do is replace Jerusalem with America or whatever country or kingdom applies. So starting on Jeremiah 8.4, Moreover, you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord, Will they fall and not rise? Will one turn away and not return? Why has this people slidden back, Jerusalem, in a perpetual backsliding? They hold fast to deceit. They refuse to return. I listened and heard, but they do not speak aright. No man repented of his wickedness, saying, What have I done? Everyone turned to his own course, as the horse rushes into the battle. Even the stork in the heavens knows her appointed times, and the turtle dove, the swift, and the swallow observe the time of their coming. But my people do not know the judgment of the Lord. How can you say we are wise, and the law of the Lord is with us? Look the false pen and the scribe certainly works falsehood the wise men are ashamed they are dismayed and taken behold they have rejected the word of the lord so what wisdom do they have therefore i will give their wives to others and their fields to those who will inherit them because from the least even to the greatest everyone is given to covetousness from the prophet even to the priest everyone deals falsely for they have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly saying peace peace When there is no peace? Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall in the time of their punishment. They shall be cast down, says the Lord. I will surely consume them, says the Lord. No grapes shall be on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree, and the leaf shall fade, and the things I have given them shall pass away from them. Why do we sit still? Assemble yourselves, and let us enter the fortified cities, and let us be silent there. For the Lord our God has put us to silence, and given us water of gall to drink. That means it's bitter. Because we have sinned against the Lord. We looked for peace, but no good came. In a time of health, and there was trouble. The snorting of his horses was heard from Dan. The whole land trembled at the sound of the neighing of his strong ones. For they have come and devoured the land, and all that is in it the city and those who dwell in it. For behold, I will send serpents among you, vipers which cannot be charmed, and they shall bite you, says the Lord. The prophet mourns for the people. I would comfort myself in sorrow. My heart is faint in me. Listen, the voice, the cry of the daughter of my people from a far country. And by the way, keep that in mind for later. The daughter of my people from a far country. Is not the Lord in Zion? Is not her king in her? You know, thinking about it, that's the way it is now. Why have they provoked me to anger, with their carved images, with foreign idols? The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the hurt of the daughter of my people I am hurt, I am mourning, astonishment has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why, then, is there no recovery for the health of the daughter of my people? There is no recovery... Because his people refused to listen. They were stubborn and continued in their own way. What is one of the biggest sins the Lord doesn't approve of? What is one of the biggest sins that steal our attention from him? Well, it's idolatry. You know, guys, I want to just be clear about something really quick. Because I made some statements, and I have made them before, um, in regards to Trump and The following, the cult like following. I voted for Trump in 2016. I voted for him in 2020. Okay. So I want you to know that I do have conservative values that I carry in my heart. All right. That's nothing personal against anybody who supports him. What I'm getting at with what I say is that people are not always what they appear to be. And when they find out the truth and they find out that they've been misled, when their bubble is burst. They don't always take it in the best light and who can blame them? So I don't want you to sit here thinking that like it's an attack on you or an attack on anybody. What you should be aware of is that you are being played. Okay. You have to realize when you're being played, instead of chasing after a political solution, you need to be chasing after Jesus right now. I find it amazing that There are so many who are willing to go to a protest or go to a rally, but yet they won't stand up for the millions of aborted babies. They won't stand up and speak out at their church. They won't speak to their neighbor about certain issues. They will continually go on and seek political solutions, even as it's clear all around us that these things are going on, that we are in the end times. You can see that they are getting ready to pass. Laws against Christians. Okay. Just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean that it won't. Well, you're being distracted with all this news going on, which, by the way, it is a distraction in case you didn't already notice it. Because usually when you're focused on one thing, there are several, at least two or three things going on. And so when you see that happening and when you're being told, like, oh, focus here, focus here, and he's saying, oh, come out and protest. Well, did he pardon or help? The people who did that before? No. And, you know, you might say that that happened after he left office. Okay, fine and good, but he could have known that that was going to happen. He knew the way it was being portrayed in the media that day, all right? Now, there were really troublemakers there, okay? But there's more people concerned with that, concerned with Trump, than they're concerned about their salvation right now, and that's where we need to be. Because if people realized just where things were and how late in the game it is, they wouldn't be playing around on the worldly playground, all right? I mean, I hate to break it to you guys, but it's the truth. Now, say what you want. There were infiltrators in that. I'm sure there were. My point is, you don't want to get caught up in all that. And this is where I'm trying to say our priorities need to be in line with God's. Another thing, has he come out and confessed like, oh, I led my people to go get this injection that has been maiming people? You know, he hasn't come out and said, I apologize for that. Why does nobody ever ask the hard questions? Why is it that we are so inclined to blindly follow, even when something seems like it stinks or when it seems off? See, we'll rally for that. We'll rally not asking the questions and be like, rah, 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 I want my normal back. But why don't we rally for Jesus? Where's the rallies for Jesus? Where is the speaking out against everything going on in the repentance that the Lord wants to see? And to that, you might say, well, there are rallies, right? I mean, there are Christian rallies going on. Not nearly enough. There are more concerts and ceremonies going on, worshiping the evil one and carrying out his dirty deeds than there are rallies for Jesus and salvation and for redemption. There are more Trump and DeSantis rallies, and you notice those two are are dividing also, there's more of those rallies than there is in the truth of what is really going on, that this is a spiritual issue. You cannot solve a spiritual problem by voting in a politician. Because if you do that, if that's the habit you're in, like I've said before, you'll quickly clamor to the Antichrist when they try to bring him onto the scene. Because he's going to try to come out and say, oh, look, peace, and everything's going to be good, and I'm going to feed you, and yada, yada, yada. And it's all lies. You see? Do you see why it's so dangerous to get caught up in all of this? Why aren't there more people standing up for what's righteous and right? People want, you know what it is? It's because people want a political solution. They want a political solution because they don't want to think about their ways and where they're wrong and change their ways. The Lord is outstretching his hand. And yet, everybody wants to run the opposite way and point fingers and get upset when I call that out. Well, you're being warned. You're being warned ahead of time that you had the chance. Also, while all that's going on, you got the banking going on. You got the banking collapse and consolidation going on behind the scenes. You have uh, war getting ready to happen over there with Ukraine, you know, there is war going on, but no, it's getting worse because Russia and China are meeting now. We're doing everything we can to provoke that situation. And they came out and said, we're going to control the new world order. Well, of course they're going to control it because it's going to be modeled after communism. What Russia doesn't realize is that China's eventually going to turn on them. People have seen that in prophecies. Many rounds and I have talked about it before in our past podcasts, and I'm going to probably get him on at some point, but you know, these things need to be said. I have nothing personal against Trump, okay? You know, he's fallible just like any of us. I have nothing personal against that. What I'm trying to say is we need to put our priorities in the right place. And what that means is you should not be placing all your eggs in one basket. And you need to be careful as to what you trust because there's going to be a lot of deceptions going on. And you don't want to be caught up in that. There's going to be a lot of things that trigger people to do things that they shouldn't take part in. And that's where we are. That's the climate we're in now. There are many who go to church once a week and then are more consumed with political stuff going on in this country, thinking that somehow that if we just vote in the right person, it's going to change. If we just, if, if we just do this, if we just do that, it'll change and we don't have to, you know, we can just keep going on and la da No. Folks, this country's gone. I hate to break it to you. It's gone. It's gone. Okay? It's too late to take it back. It's not going to be like World War I, World War II, or the, even the Civil War, where you know, you're fighting to take something back. The difference is the technology is more advanced now, and we're in the last days. This is why I did the last podcast where I talked about all these things that they are getting ready to implement, because they are. They are control measures. And don't you find it interesting? Oh, yeah, go protest so we can catalog you with our AI systems and cameras. And nobody thinks to ask a question. Now, to their credit, there are a lot of people out there who do see it. Like, I think that's a trap because it is. And even since I put that podcast out, there has been more evidence of that by the day. I'm getting constantly sent articles by a sister behind the scenes, and she's showing me it's like, you know, and I'm like, yeah, well, this is why I put that out. I'm trying to show people where it is because they have a choice to make right now. They have a choice. They have a choice whether they're going to follow Jesus, really, really follow him, really abide in him, or are they going to continue throwing caution to the wind and chasing a political idol? And I'm sorry, but when you're making something a virtue, when you constantly are making it a virtue, when it's always about, well, we need to save our nation and we need to save and we need to elect Trump. We need to do that. That is blind patriotism. You can sit here all you want. And say that i'm a hater and i'm un-american whatever you want to think about me that's fine what you don't know is you're persecuting me you're also persecuting the one who sent me god is sending me to warn you okay the lord is sending me to warn you that time is running out and we need to stop playing around there are many distractions and many of these distractions guys They are illusions that are going to lead to your downfall if you don't start paying attention and understand what it is the Lord wants you to do. And what he's indicating by Jeremiah 8 is that his people are stubborn. They're obstinate. They want to continue to chase after the things that, frankly, are not going to soon matter. This nation is under judgment, whether you want to believe it or not. You know, Lady Liberty, she's without her toga. She's caught in her nakedness, she's had too much to drink, and she's staggering around in Long Island Sound, while our enemies abroad laugh at us, and laugh at our downfall, and laugh at our leadership. And people still refuse to admit to themselves that it's too late, because they got too comfortable, they got too lazy, and they didn't accept the truth when it was presented to them. And so now what do we do? We double down more on our pride instead of seeking repentance of the Lord. It is that denial, it is that pride that has gotten us here. And that's what we need to realize as a nation. You know, people love to quote Second Chronicles, If my people will humble themselves and turn from their sinful ways, I will heal their land. Except the people have not turned from their sinful ways. That's the problem. Like I said, it's a spiritual problem. Instead, we double down. And just by canceling does not mean, or turning this off, does not mean that it's going to change. You'll remember that you heard it. And at that time, you're going to wish that you had spent your time in the Word and getting prepared. You're going to wish that you had not spent so much time chasing the wind for something that, frankly, is not going to matter very soon, okay? You have to understand something, okay, where it comes to all of this and and, and why none of this is going to matter soon. God has always risen up leaders and kings over kingdoms. He lifts them up and he tears them down, especially when his people become ungodly and are insubordinate. And let's face it, we are an insubordinate, stubborn, stiff-necked people. We're more concerned about gimme, 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 my best life now. I want it all. Yeah, and we're found in wanting. Let's face it. Let's be honest about it. We ha- See, this is the thing. We have to get real about where we are. How can we come to repentance if we don't even know and understand where we are and what's wrong? And we essentially go along with all the sexual depravity going on because we don't even speak out against it. Oh, we may not go along with it personally, but we stay silent, so we may as well condone it. These are real facts we have to face. And I'm of the belief that America is Mystery Babylon. America is Babylon. Okay? And eventually, she's going to fall. Including those who drank of her fornication. All right? Because they have bought in to the system of lies. And that's what you have to understand is there is so much lying and deception going on. You have to break your conditioning. You have to think outside the box, guys. God gave you a brain. Use it. Ask for wisdom. If you don't understand, ask him for the wisdom to understand these things. It's not a personal attack. It's a plead for you. It's a plead. And really, it's the Lord pleading. He's outstretching his hand and saying, come, my child, follow me. Come away from her. But yet we have many who are stubborn and they want to continue to go in their own way. And when destruction comes, when the invasion comes, which it certainly will, there are going to be many wishing they had done different because they are going to outlaw the word, guys. At some point, they are going to do it. It's like, well, that can't happen. You don't think so? Amos chapter 8, verse 12 even says, And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north, even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. What does that tell you? It's written. It's prophesied. You know, they have intentions to do it. Did you just see what happened in Israel? It didn't pass, but they introduced a law to ban witnessing of Jesus. Because as these things begin to happen, as the prophecies start to unfold, they are going to crack down even harder on the truth. You think it's restrictive now? Just wait. The devil knows his time is short. He wants to drag as many to hell with him as he can. There's going to be all these things coming out of the woodwork. So when I put that podcast up to show you what time it is with Brother H, and I'm telling you, this is where things are. And yes, it's shocking to wake up because it is. It's hard for people. It's not easy. But you have to do it. You have to try. We have to be bold. We have to put on the armor of God, guys. And I'm hoping today, by what I'm talking about, that I'm shining light on a lot of things that need to be said. You know, I was going to do the um, promises of provision, and I'm still working on that. I'm still collecting the verses for that. I want to get that, I want to make sure that's concise. But what you have to understand, folks, is that. Those promises, they apply for those who are abiding in the Lord. Second Corinthians 1, verse 20. For as many as are the promises of God, in him they are, yes. Therefore also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. In him they are, yes. Did you catch that? For as many as are the promises of God, in him they are, yes. So if you're not abiding in him, Why would they be honored? Think about it. And the illusion people have is, I'm saved by grace, and I can keep on sinning. And that's not true. I mean, it's written, guys. It's written in Leviticus 26. You shall not make idols for yourselves. Neither a carved image nor a sacred pillar shall you rear up for yourselves. Nor shall you set up an engraved stone in your land to bow down to it. For I am the Lord your God. Where was the outrage when they had Baal, a statue of Baal in New York City? Nobody got upset about that. Moving on to verse two, you shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you walk in my statues and keep my commandments and perform them, then I will give you rain in its season. The land shall yield its produce and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last till the time of vintage and the vintage shall last till the time of sowing. You shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land safely. I will give you peace in the land, and you shall lay down, and none will make you afraid. I will rid the land of evil beasts, and the sword will not go through your land. You will chase your enemies, and they shall fall by the sword before you. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight. Your enemies shall fall by the sword before you. For I will look on you favorably, and make you fruitful, multiply you, and confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat the old harvest, and clear out the old, because of the new. I will set my tabernacle among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you, and be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Remember, they were in slavery. That you should not be their slaves. I have broken the bands of your yoke, and made you walk upright. But, and this is key, but if you do not obey me, and do not observe all these commandments, and if you despise my statutes, or if your soul abhors my judgments, so that you do not perform all my commandments, but break my covenant, I also will do this to you. I will even appoint terror over you, wasting disease and fever, which shall consume the eyes and cause the sorrow of the heart, and you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you shall reign over you, and you shall flee when no one pursues you. And after all this, if you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. I will break the pride of your power. And that's where we are. We have a lot of pride. I will make your heavens like iron, and your earth like bronze, and your strength shall be spent in vain, for your land shall not yield its produce, nor shall the trees of the land yield their fruit. Then, if you walk contrary to me, and are not willing to obey me, I will bring on you seven times more plagues, according to your sins. I will also send wild beasts among you, which shall rob you of your children, destroy your livestock, and make you few in number, and your highways shall be desolate. And, if by these things... You are not reformed by me, but walk contrary to me. Then I will also walk contrary to you, and I will punish you yet seven times for your sins. And I will bring a sword against you that will execute the vengeance of the covenant. When you are gathered together within your cities, I will send pestilence among you, and you shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. When I have cut off your supply of bread, ten women shall bake your bread in one oven, and they shall bring back your bread by weight. And you shall eat and not be satisfied. That means there won't be enough. And after all this, if you do not obey me, but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you in fury. And I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins. You shall eat the flesh of your sons, and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters. I will destroy your high places, cut down your incense altars, and cast your carcasses on the lifeless forms of your idols, and my soul shall abhor you. This is why I'm speaking against all this, guys, because it is very serious. And you can sit here and say all you want. That's Old Testament. That doesn't apply. It does apply. And Jesus, by the way, referred to the Old Testament several times when he said, as the scriptures say. What do you think he was referring to when he said, as the scriptures say? So therefore, you cannot continue to go on sinning just because you're saved, okay? He wouldn't be having people preach repentance if you were just saved once and always saved, okay? Moving on, verse 32, we're still in Leviticus 26. I will bring the land to desolation and your enemies who dwell in it shall be astonished at it. I will scatter you among the nations and draw out a sword after you. Your land shall be desolate and your cities waste. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate and you are in your enemy's land. That means you're going to go into captivity. Then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate, it shall rest for the time it did not rest on your Sabbath when you dwell in it. And for those of you who are left, I will send faintness into their hearts in the land of their enemies. The sound of a shaken leaf shall cause them to flee. They shall flee as though fleeing from a sword, and they shall fall when no one pursues. They shall stumble over one another, as if it were before a sword when no one pursues. And you shall have no power to stand before your enemies. You shall perish among the nations, and the land of your enemies shall eat you up. And those of you who are left shall waste away in their iniquity in your enemies' lands, also in their fathers' iniquities, which are with them, they shall waste away. But if they confess their iniquity, and the iniquity of their fathers, with their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me, and that they also have walked contrary to me, and that I also have walked contrary to them, and have brought them into the land of their enemies, if their uncircumcised hearts are humbled, And they accept their guilt, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham. I will remember. I will remember the land. The land also shall be left empty by them and will enjoy its Sabbaths while it lies desolate without them. And they will accept their guilt because they despise my judgments and because their soul abhorred my statutes. Yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away, nor shall I abhor them to utterly destroy them and break my covenant with them. For I am the Lord their God. That's his mercy but he's going to show you where you're wrong and this is why i'm giving you a head start to show you where these things are wrong guys it is very 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 serious these verse 46 is key these are the statutes and judgments and laws which the lord made between himself and the children of israel on mount sinai by the land of moses they still apply today and god does the same things over and over again to get his people's attention we have violated all of those covenants that the Lord had applied to America. This nation was founded on God. So don't sit there and postulize and tell me any different when I see the writing on the wall. We have abandoned God. This nation has forsaken God and it's under judgment. And I just read for you the consequences. And all along, he said, and if you still do these things, even after I've shown you, I'm going to do worse. And that's what he wants people to do right now is repent. Stop chasing idols and looking for political ideologies to save you. You know, ladies and gentlemen, let me appeal to you just one more thought for a second. Just one more thought. Has it occurred to you that God is removing idols? He's allowing things to happen. He's cleansing the idols because he's giving essentially everyone No other choice but to seek him. That's what he wants. That's what he wants from his people. He doesn't want them chasing a political figure. If you have someone in your life and you value that, let's say that you're being called out. Let's say that the Lord is calling you to go into ministry or calling you as a prophet and he's giving you prophetic words or dreams or visions. And you're choosing instead to just sit in your own little comfort bubble. Has it not occurred to you That he can pull those idols out of your life and drastically change your lives. Most would look at that like a bad thing. But you have to see that it's for his grace. And it's for the sake of the lost. You know, we really need to start realizing these things, guys. Because that's where we are. The Lord's allowing these things to happen. His hand, he's taking his hand slowly off this nation, in case you haven't noticed. And it's for everything I just read. Because... He made a covenant with us. We were founded on his presence, but we've booted him out of everything. And so why shouldn't he? He has to get the attention of his children. And that's exactly what you're seeing unfold right now. The Lord wants a pure and contrite heart. He wants people to turn away from the wrong behaviors. All right? I mean, even Galatians 5.13 says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. And that's another thing we're not doing right. We serve ourselves. How often do you think about the person in need? I see people on YouTube all the time throwing away thousands and millions of dollars on junk to make entertainment, but they care nothing. They care nothing for people who are destitute. And broke. And now it's going to get worse because I can see what people are going to do. They're going to hold on even harder. Like, oh, well, I'm only going to be concerned about my own needs and my own selfish needs. I really hope that that works for you. I really hope that that works for you and what happens with the economy because you have been told over and over and over again to continue to maintain the Christian way, the ways of the Lord. And that includes looking out for others' interests, not just your own. Philippians 2 4. Guys, this is why getting to know the value of the word is right, so you can have discernment on when to put the right practices into action. And it's what I mean when I'm talking about somebody else can do it, oh, somebody else will do it, but I can just sit here in my little corner, I'm going to get to escape all these things. No, you're going to go through the refining fire, and if you're in pride, you're going to go into captivity. It's not a game. It's not a game. Galatians 5.1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not be encumbered once more by a yoke of slavery. You don't want to be a slave to your sin. You don't want to be a slave to idolatry. Okay? If you are putting anything else over the Lord as a priority, if if you are putting a political leader first, and you have more faith and more hope in his return rather than the return of Jesus— that is idolatry, okay? That's idolatry. And you know, guys, I'm sorry to get loud about this, but it needs to be said. It needs to be said. Time is running out, all right? If you're bowing down the saints, if you're praying to the saints, that is idolatry. I've covered this before. People don't like that, but it's true. It's idolatry. You are to pray to nobody but God the Father in the name of Jesus. Jesus is your Savior, okay? I want to be clear about this because I think there's confusion out there. And You need to understand that I'm only trying to get you on the right track. I'm not trying to offend. You know, some might be fearful, but understand. The book of Jude, chapter 1, verses 22. When it comes to making a difference, when it comes to saving others, and of some have compassion making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, Hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. So guys, there is no gray area in what I say, all right? There is black and there is white. There is red and there is white, okay? You're on one side or you're on the other. There is no in-between where you can keep one foot in the fires of hell and then put the other foot in heaven. The Lord does not honor the lukewarm. He wants his people, he wants a spotless bride. He wants his people purified. He wants them to see what they're doing wrong so that they can change. Okay? He wants to take your sins that are as red as crimson and make them as white as snow, like pure white linen. Okay? And that's what I mean by red and white. There's no in between. Okay? And that includes our behaviors. So that's what I'm going to be speaking to today. And you know, you might be asking or wondering why I'm so passionate about this. Why am I getting so loud about all this? Why am I getting preachy? I'll tell you why. On March 3rd, the evening of March 3rd, I went to bed early. I was tired. Um, I had been working on something. I can't remember. It might have been another podcast. And I think I went to bed like around, I don't know, 7 or 8 o'clock in the evening. It was early. But just before midnight, I awoke and sat upright in bed for a few moments. And while I sat there, I received a discernment in my spirit and a vision in regards to those with a haughty, prideful spirit whether it be in their deeds, their mouths, their hearts. And it's a spirit that those who don't repent are going to go into captivity in foreign lands. They will be captives under unmerciful rulers. This is what I saw. And they were being treated like slaves as they themselves showed no mercy. And they were pompous. They scoffed and they mocked. They refused to see the truth and repent to serve Jesus and truly walk in his ways. And what I was shown is They will reap exactly what they have sown and possibly much worse. So when I read to you from Leviticus 26 and I tell you about the captivity, I'm dead serious about that because I saw it. You know, in this vision, I saw individuals in pain. They were being whipped as though they were in some sort of slave labor. And, you know, we don't know. I mean, if war comes, uh, that very well may be what people are sent to do. Captives to rebuild other nations. And I could hear and I could see their torment as they cried out. And they were mocked by their captors. And uh, the thing, it, it, it was it, it actually put me in tears, guys. It's, it was horrible. Those who had taken them captive had no empathy. They had no empathy at all. And they were brutal. And I did. I saw people like in so much grief. They were crying out and nobody would hear them. You know, it was almost like it was a, preview of what hell on earth would look like. Yeah, there's going to be war, but even the worst, those who survive and are left here to be refined. That's not something you want to imagine, much less be caught up in if you can help it. And then, you know, immediately verses I've studied in addition to Jeremiah 8, in addition to Leviticus 26, it came to mind. You know, Jeremiah 13, verses 15 through 17 Hear and give ear. Do not be proud, for the Lord has spoken. Give glory to the Lord your God before he causes darkness. And before your feet stumble on the dark mountains, and while you are looking for light, he turns it into the shadow of death and makes it dense darkness. But if you will not hear it, my soul will weep in secret for your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly and run down with tears. Because the Lord's flock has been taken captive. And then if you move on to verse 19. The cities of the south shall be shut up, and no one shall open them. Judah shall be carried away captive, all of it. It shall be wholly carried away captive. Lift up your eyes and see, those who come from the north. Where is the flock that was given to you, your beautiful sheep? And by the way, that's another thing. Where are the pastors? who are responsible for leading their flocks, for telling them the right way, for showing them the right way, where are they? Pastors in churches should be shouting from the rooftops on these very things I'm presenting today. They should be. Why aren't they? Because the Lord is very serious about this, and he judges the church first. And that's beginning to happen right now. Moving on. What will you say when he punishes you? For you have taught them to be chieftains, to be head over you. Will not pang seize you like a woman in labor? And if you say in your heart, why have these things come upon me? It is for the greatness of your iniquity. Your skirts have been uncovered. Your heels have been made bare. And that's exactly what I was referring to, by the way, when I mentioned Lady Liberty. Because that's a perfect example. It just represents everything in this nation as a whole. It represents the people. It represents, it's a bastion of freedom. The reason I had not shared this until now was because I had been praying ever since I had this vision for more revelation. I wanted more revelation on it to understand what the Lord was showing me. Though I had gotten a glimpse of it and I had an impression of what it was, I wanted to make sure and accurately portray it so that I could explain it. And so I felt today was the time to share it. By the way, Joel 2 is another one we can reference here. Starting at the beginning Blow the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. A day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. A people come, great and strong, the like of whom has never been, nor will there be any such after them, even for many successive generations. A fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. You know, side note, I don't know about you, but for everything to burn and kindle? It sounds like an attack happened, if you ask me. Moving on. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, and behind them is a desolate wilderness. Surely nothing shall escape them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like swift steeds, so they run. With a noise like chariots, over mountaintops they leap, like the noise of a flaming fire that devours the stubble, like a strong people set in battle array. Before them, the people writhe in pain. All faces are drained of color. They run like mighty men. They climb the wall like men of war. Everyone marches in formation. And they do not break ranks. They do not push one another. Everyone marches in his own column. Sounds like a very familiar eastern nation that we know about. Though they lunge between the weapons, they are not cut down. They run to and fro in the city. They run on the wall. They climb into the houses. They enter the windows like a thief. You know, I want to stop real quick. I had a vision. I want to say it was back in 2010-2011. I saw people being rounded up. I saw people being rounded up by the Chinese. They were being put on buses. Where they were being taken, I have no idea. I was hidden in this dream, but I know what I saw. And anybody who didn't go along was just plain straight up shot in the head. You know, it's very serious, guys. And I I just saw the other day, there are young Chinese nationals being apprehended at the southern border in Brownsville, Texas. And for the record, that was a video that Border Patrol put out. Somebody took it, and I think it was Debuo 7 a channel named Debuo 7 on YouTube, that put it out. So it's no secret kind of video. It's up on YouTube, and anybody can look that up. So suffice to say, they're likely already here. They're just waiting their marching orders, or they're waiting for the right time. But moving on, verse 10, we're still in Joel 2. The earth quakes before them, and that's another thing, there are... Multiple earthquakes on the increase all around the world. That's another thing that's going on right now, just in the last few days. uh, If anybody follows Dutch Sense, he has cataloged it. Just food for thought. Earthquakes in diverse places. The heavens tremble, the sun and moon grow dark, and the stars diminish their brightness. The Lord gives voice before his army, for his camp is very great. For strong is the one who executes his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? And then we get into a call to repentance. Now, therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great of kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Who knows if he will turn and relent? And leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children and nursing babes. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. Let the priests who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach. That the nations should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? And see, this is the thing. If people don't come to repentance now, when these things start to happen, you might remember a podcast I did called, Will You Be Angry at God? I put that out because when these things happen, when things go downhill, people are going to say, God has failed us. He's done this. It's like, well, he didn't forsake you. You forsook him. There's a difference. And see, people get all mad when you say that to them, but that's the reality. When he's calling his people to come back to him, when he's saying, okay, you're backslidden, uh, return to me, my child, come back to me. I'm giving you all this time. I'm giving you this chance. And you don't do it. Well, um, and you were warned, and you scoffed at what you were being told, or you unfollowed because you didn't like what you heard. You know, I said it in the last podcast with Brother H. I said the Lord is being merciful and he's being slow about these things. He's showing everybody what time it is. You know, I'm demonstrating to you saying, look, the control apparatus is already in place. They're moving forward with this. They're going to do this with the economy. They're going to try to control people. They're going to corral people. War is coming. There's other distractions. All these things, guys, what you need to be doing is focusing on him. We need to be abiding in him, guys. We need to be abiding in Jesus and living like him to the best of our ability. And, you know, we want to be aware of not creating a God in our own image, a God that is all mercy and no justice, a God that is all love and no wrath. Like, why well, can do no wrong? Wrong. You don't want to be creating an image of a God that is all grace and doesn't judge, a God that is all accepting and no rejecting. You know, that's what a lot of the church is tending to do right now. Like, oh, yes, just come on in and, you know, we won't call you out for your sin. All welcoming. All is welcome. It's like everybody is welcome, but they have to repent if they're serious about seeking the Lord. Remember, because you were not hot nor cold, I will spew thee out of my mouth. And lastly, we need to not be having the outlook that there is only heaven and no hell. There's some people who believe literally there is no hell. Well, look at. Revelation, look what happens to ungodly sinners, look what happens to those who take the mark, and where they go. Remember, in our world, God does not conform to us. We are to conform to him and his ways. We need to keep our hearts in check. Now, you know, I already presented Jeremiah 8 and Leviticus 26, but let's take a look at some verses about abiding. 1 John 2, verse 6. He that saith, "He abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked." That means, pick up your cross, walk after him." John 15:4: "Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. no more can ye, except ye abide in me? You know, outside of him you can do nothing." Jesus said in John 15:5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone, and this is verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. So, very serious. Proverbs twenty four sixteen, For a just man falleth seven times. And riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. Proverbs 13, verse 18 Poverty and shame will come to him who disdains correction, but he who regards a rebuke will be honored. You know, poverty and shame come to those who disdain correction because the disdain indicates a haughty spirit. Poverty can also be in spirit. You've heard it before someone who has a poor spirit, and that's what that means. You don't get to omit what you don't like, contrary to whatever mainstream church has misled you. You see, this is part of the problem within the church. We want to hear only good and positive things, but we don't want to focus on proper behavior and living for the Lord. You know, many hear something they don't like and are quicker to turn it off or cancel out the messenger rather than focus on what the Lord is showing them and what he wants them to get right in their heart. There's this attitude like, oh, well, let's not talk about that, but we'll say we did. The church witnesses of Jesus and invites salvation, don't get me wrong. But then they'll say, you shouldn't sin. But by and large, they offer superficial treatment for a people's mortal wounds by never really getting into the nitty gritty of those wounds and talking about specific sins so as to let the light of Christ get into those wounds in order that they may be healed. I've heard it from people, guys. I've, I've heard so many testimonies since I've been in ministry, of people who were once in, I don't know, fornication or adultery. And rather than giving them any good advice, it was just a, well, you shouldn't do that. You know, how does that really help somebody? You have to explain things to them. And I've been to many church services and seen it. And I've watched enough televangelists to know that this takes place. How can a man or woman, a prodigal or a backslidden Christian, ever know what needs to be corrected if nobody ever tells them. You know, if you're just quick to just sweep it under the rug and say, well, you shouldn't do that, and well, that's a sin, and they get looked at like they're just some thing that came in off the streets. No, that is a person with a heart, and their heart needs to be healed. And then you have the group that uses the excuse, well, you know, nobody is perfect, we all sin. Well, of course we all sin. Romans chapter 3 verses 10 through 11 say, not one is righteous, not one is truly wise and seeking God. Verse 12 says, their talk is foul like the stench from an open grave. Verse 18 says, they have no fear of God at all. The point I'm trying to make today is that we don't want to get into the habit of using the nobody's perfect excuse as a crutch to lean on so as to keep sinning and doing wrong. You know, there's mistakes, but then there's also willful sin, meaning you know better, but then do it anyway. Think about that for a moment. Would you like it if someone took advantage of you? No, of course you wouldn't. So how do you think it feels to Jesus when he died a gruesome death on that cross and was persecuted, and he shed his blood to cover those sins and make you whole, and you choose to keep taking advantage of his mercy by sinning? Think about it. It grieves him. You know, Romans 6 is instrumental in explaining this very point. We also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. You know, you die when you accept Christ. You, All things are made anew. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. For the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. But here again, you don't use that grace to keep sinning. Starting on verse 15, Romans 6 continues to explain this very point. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey? Whether of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God bethink that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. That means you turned away from those sins, you started living for Christ Jesus because he redeemed you by his blood. I speak in human terms. Because of the weakness of your flesh, For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end, and that's everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And you know, if you look at 2 Corinthians 5, verses 9-19, through 19, it says, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. Be reconciled to God. That means, as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian, you have a conscience of what is right and what is wrong, what you should do and what you shouldn't do. And folks, we want to be reconciled to God when we discover we're in the wrong. And I say again, as Christians, we don't get to omit what we don't like. You know, as a true follower of Jesus, you get the whole salvation package. And part of that package is repentance from former things that are not godly. And so if any of what I say is irritating you or it offends you, it may indicate that you need to check your heart and focus on confession, reflection, and repentance. Additionally, if what I say offends you, it will hold no comparison to what comes if you continue to remain obstinate. And I went over what's coming. You know, there are many verses by the prophets of old and what God told them to say, and the people continue to remain obstinate and their fate wasn't a good one. You know, let's look at another one. Jeremiah 29:18 through 23 is yet another example. And I will pursue them with the sword, with famine and with pestilence. And I will deliver them to trouble among all the kingdoms of the earth, to be a curse, an astonishment, a hissing, and a reproach among all the nations where I have driven them. Because they have not heeded my word, says the Lord, which I sent to them by my servants the prophets, rising up early and sending them, neither would you heed, says the Lord. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, all you of the captivity, whom I have sent from Jerusalem to Babylon, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, considering Ahab and the son of Kaliah, and Zedekiah and the son of who prophesy a lie to you in my name, behold, I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall slay them before your eyes, and because of them, a curse shall be taken up by all the captivity of Judah who are in Babylon, saying, The Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire. Because they have done disgraceful things in Israel, America. Have committed adultery with their neighbor's wives, and have spoken lying words in my name, which I have not commanded them. You know, that's the whole, live your best life now, peace, peace, peace. Indeed, I know and am a witness, says the Lord. And this, guys, is exactly what I'm talking about. You say, Well, I don't want to hear that because it scares me. Well, it ought to scare you. You should have a healthy fear of the Lord. Jesus even said, fear not the one who kills the flesh, but he who can throw both body and soul into hell. And let me just say, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, you know, as a result of being stubborn and stiff-necked and refuse his correction. Acts 7.51, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your father did, so do ye. Remember, it's about searching what's in the heart. Jeremiah 17 verses 9 through 10 say, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. You know what that means is you'll be tried and tested on what's really in your heart. You know, when talking about the lamp of the body, Jesus said, The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And that's what I'm getting at. That's what I'm talking about when I say there's people who believe that they're not doing wrong or they're not sitting like, oh, I'm saved by grace, I'm saved by grace. I'm going to keep sinning, I'm going to go sleep around, or I'm going to go, you know, do whatever I do, and I'm going to listen to, you know, perverted music, and watch, you know, violent movies, and I'm just going to, I'm going to use the Lord's name in vain, you know, I'm going to just do whatever I do, but I believe. Um, No, that's, that's, that's lukewarm, guys, that's backslidden, that's one foot in, one foot out. And so that all said... What are some of the things that are wrong that the Lord wants us to correct? What are some of the issues at hand he wants us to work on? I already have covered idolatry at the beginning, and I covered idolatry in a separate podcast not too long ago. But another one is judgment. And this includes silent judgments, and these can lead to pride of not thinking that we do no wrong or even holier-than-thou attitudes such as, I do no wrong. It's always everyone else. You know, I've quoted 1 John 1, verses 6 through 10 many times before, but let's review that again as a reminder, starting on verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not hold the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Yet you say, because I am innocent, surely his anger shall turn from me. Behold, I will plead my case against you because you say I have not sinned. And that's quoting Jeremiah 2.35. So be careful because denial is also a symptom of unbelief, and as it pertains, it's unbelief that you're without any error. We want to be careful to watch for that, for the word says, if we think we're perfect, we better keep every law, which, as we all know, that's nearly impossible. What we should do is check on and reflect on what's in our heart and be quick to confess those sins. You know, Proverbs 28 verse 13 says, he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. So, you know, in other words, don't be too proud to admit if you're wrong. If you're not sure, confess it anyway. It's not the worst thing you can do, and it certainly doesn't hurt anything, but instead shows humility. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. So, you know, first come clean and admit that you messed up. You know, like I said, even if you don't know if you did it, better to just confess it anyway. And, you know, another thing. While we're on the topic of judgment and pride, if someone has offended you, you need to forgive them. Again, it's a demonstration of what's in your heart. Matthew 6, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You know, Jesus spoke of unforgiveness in the parable of the unforgiving servant, which we read in Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him, up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you, up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children, and all that he had, and that the payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out, and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him, and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servant saw what had been done, they were very grieved, and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. So, you know, the servant cried out for mercy and his debt was forgiven, but then later on, when someone else owed him, he didn't extend the same mercy and forgive the debt of who owed him. And, you know, that's part of doing unto others as you would have done unto you. So in other words, as you would want to be forgiven of your sins, so you should be forgiving of those who have sinned against you. You know, if you're not forgiving, you should not expect to be forgiven. And as not one is without sin, when you confess, you definitely want to be forgiven when you slip up. You know, like the servant who didn't forgive the debt and then was delivered to the torturers, you don't want to be cast into the fire and forfeit your ticket to heaven because you were so offended and filled with pride that you can't forgive. And this is serious because Jesus said many would be offended and would betray and hate one another and that the love of many would wax cold. That spirit of offense is already on the rise, folks, and we want to do our best not to fall into the sin of unforgiveness. Remember, Satan divides and conquers. And you know, he knows his time is short and he's trying to take as many souls with him as he can. Don't fall for the trap, because in what's coming, there are going to be a lot of provocations. And that's just speaking lightly. You know, Jesus said, forgive not seven times, but 70 times. Now, I mean, obviously nobody's going to take a pen and be putting a tally down on a notepad each time they forgive someone. But essentially what he means is that there's no limit so as to the number of times we're supposed to forgive and extend that to other believers as believers. And, you know, part of that, too, is your enemies. Remember to pray for those who insult you or use you or whatever. You know, Paul said, quoting Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 19, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. So that brings us to our next topic, greediness. Let's talk about that for a moment, because many have a sense of entitlement. You know, Daniel 5, verses 25 through 26 come to mind, where things are right now. Many, many tickle, you parson. This is the interpretation of each word. Many, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tickle, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Paris, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians, the Chinese and the Russians. And really, in a way, America as a whole has become the divided and entitled states of America. I mean, we're at odds about everything. And, you know, once again, this comes from the spirit of pride. You know, James 4, 2 through 3 says, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Notice how the last part of James 4.3 says, You want only what will give you pleasure. You know, we've become a nation of adulterers and adulteresses, only... What brings us pleasure, not finding the old way and learning to walk in it, and repenting from our envy of what someone else has, or jealousy that someone else got what we desired? You know, it's waging war to get it, or you could say passing laws to make people or force people to, you know, give them something that they didn't have before. You know, then there is also the element of taking without giving back. You know, some don't even know how to give thanks. And, you know, just a side note, let me tell you, if someone is good to you, whether they bless you with their presence, give you advice or give to you, thank them, you know, give thanks to God first, but tell that person, thank you. And on top of that, you know, pray the Lord will bless them in return for blessing you. You know, it's, it's just the polite thing to do. It shows grace. It's the principle. It's proper etiquette. You know, some don't want thanks and that's fine. But it's still good to put it into practice anyway. You know, if we do all things as though we are doing them unto the Lord, because we are, should we not express appreciation for one another and to one another? You know, I'm just saying it's the morally right thing to do. And what it shows is integrity. And like I said, it shows grace. You know, remember, reflect on what's in your heart if you struggle with that. Because you don't want to have the attitude that Anyone owes you anything, and so you should express gratitude. You know, the Apostle Paul even said to show charity as it covers a multitude of sins. And charity, by the way, can include giving thanks, guys. First Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So, I mean, if you don't even know how to give thanks to your brethren, are you even giving thanks to the Lord? considering he sent that person to you in the first place? Because if you have a sense of entitlement, remember, God could have chosen to send that person to anywhere, but he sent them to you. So just something to keep in mind, because as times get tough, there's a lot of ungratefulness, and I've seen it myself. You know, we're supposed to give liberally, and God does love a generous giver, but the recipient should always show thanks. It's just an act of kindness. And to not do so, well, let's just be honest, it's rude. But the jealousy and envy, that needs to be repented from. You want to cleanse that. Remember, the Lord is your shepherd and you shall not want. And if you are walking in the Lord's ways, abiding in him, then you should want for no good thing. You know, his will is that we pray into his will, not our own. That is what is also meant by intentions being all wrong. You know, we tend to sometimes put our own desires before truly leaning into and seeking God and what he desires. Remember that what we want may not always be the best, or it may not be in line with God's will. And then what happens? We get upset when we don't get it, but what we don't realize is we are not putting his will first. There could be provision tied to something he wants you to do. And in some cases, for many, he is moving them. And that provision may be elsewhere and not currently where you are. And so what happens? You start getting upset because you feel like your prayers aren't being heard. You feel as though the Lord isn't answering your requests. Then what happens? You become frustrated. And then you could end up finding yourself wanting. You know, you risk the danger of starting to complain or doubt, and that's the opposite of faith. So then if you begin to lose faith, Is that going to work when God answers faith? And what a lot of us sometimes fail to realize is that we may not be in line with what God wants, and because we are inadvertently fighting him instead of putting him first and leaning into his will, we miss the blessing or we fail to walk through certain doors he opens when we have the chance to do so. You know, the good news is this. If you've messed up before, God does love you and he wants to bless you abundantly. What we need to look at is our intentions. Think about it. The Lord came that we may have life and have it more abundantly, and he wants us to have it in him so that we share in his glory, and he wants his glory to be shown through us. Unfortunately, the reality is many are tending to put selfish ambitions before the Lord's will. You know, some may want to go here or go there, but the Lord may want to send you somewhere better as it's in his plans. Where you want to go may not be safe at some point. And the Lord is going ahead of you, but how can he show you if you're in the process of having a temper tantrum and not being still so as to receive his instruction? You know, some are seeking a wife or a husband, but did you stop to consider that maybe the Lord has kingdom work to be done, or he doesn't want your commitment to be on anyone but him? Or he doesn't want your interest to be divided? Or maybe the Lord does want to bless you with a spouse, but it's tied to his will and you're refusing to step into it. Or could it be that your interests are secretly for your own gratification and not of the Lord at all? You no. Know, another thing is there may not be much time left for that. You don't know. I don't know. None of us know the day of our departure, guys. Search your heart and what your intentions are. You know, have an honest evaluation of yourself and what's there, but seek the Lord first and his will first. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 6:33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. You know, another passage where it comes to making your own plans, James 4, verses 13 through 16 warns of having too much self-confidence. Look here, you who say today or tomorrow we are going to a certain town and will stay there a year, we will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans, and all such boasting is evil. You know, this is part of putting into action now the abiding in Him, not being envious or jealous of someone else who may have been sin or have what you would like to have. We certainly don't want to be stubborn. God's plan may be different for you than it is for the next person. It may not even be about you. Philippians 2, verses three through four. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And I mentioned that just a little bit ago. People love to say, well, you're not saved by works as if it's a license to be selfish. No, you're not saved by works on their own, but Jesus was very clear about not paying attention to the needs of others And when you neglected these, you neglected him. And that's when he judges, it's in his word, when he judges how, you know, I was cold and you didn't do this. You didn't give me a coat. I was hungry. You didn't feed me. And, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, what it's about is a show of mercy, which is what he desires us to do. You know, many of us are going to be tested on this, especially in the time coming to see if we're going to continue doing it. Proverbs 10.3, the Lord will not allow the righteous soul to famish, but he casts away the desire of the wicked. You know, so that's, are you only in it for yourself or are your interests in line with the Lord's will? Something that needs to be reflected on. Moving on. What's another sin the Lord frowns upon? Well, adultery and fornication. That is unmarried couples engaged in sexual relations who are living together. Some refer to it as shacking up. You know, many have had children out of wedlock. And when I say that, I'm not talking about people who did that once in the past. No, you're forgiven. If you've confessed it, if you know you're wrong, you're forgiven. But I'm talking about people who continue to do it. You know, and sometimes it's not even about couples, but those who choose to live in the single lifestyle of dating just so they can continue to have intercourse without any type of commitment. You know, they don't want to tie the knot. They don't want to get married. They don't want to have marriage vows. They don't want to make a covenant in marriage. You know, in other words, it's a form of promiscuity. And adultery, that's also couples who are unfaithful to one another, you know, sleeping around while married. You know, it harms you spiritually and it can doom the marriage once the covenant is violated, unless you repent. But even once is too much because, I mean, that just destroys the trust. But you know, where it comes to fornication, and adultery. 1 Corinthians 6 verses 18 through 20 say, Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. By the way, Fornication can also include pornography addiction. So whether you're alone or you're married, it doesn't matter. It's lust. It's still a sin because you're making a covenant with it and you committed the adultery in your heart. Do you remember how just a moment ago I talked about the heart being deceitful and who can know it? Well, that's a perfect example right there and it's evident in how it comes out. You know, I once heard someone say, well, I'm not hurting anybody. No, but you're harming yourself spiritually, as well as your relationship with the Lord. You know, the Lord still sees it. It's adultery on him. You know, Jesus said, quoting Matthew 5, verses 27 through 30, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye, Causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And you know, men tend to struggle with this the most, but don't be fooled. Some women do it as well. And, you know, as far as a recommendation, my best recommendation would be to repent. You know, turn away from that temptation and, and ask the Lord to deliver you from it. Do you remember 1 Corinthians ten thirteen? You know, I've quoted this before as it pertains to other sin, but it applies to adultery and fornication too. 1 Corinthians ten thirteen says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. James 4 7, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So you want to resist the temptation, hand the thought captive to the Lord, and focus your efforts on him as much as you can, because the more you're focused and filled with his presence, the easier it's going to be to put that sin to death as the Lord is established more and more in you, which then in turn kills that temptation over time. Another thing that'll help you to lay aside sexual temptations, guard yourself against what you watch and listen to. You know, if you're constantly watching movies with sexual suggestion or provocative scenes that stir up temptation or arousal, switch it off. You know, there are plenty of other programs to watch that are clean and don't have filth in them. Same thing with music. You know, a lot of the youth like rap and hip-hop and a lot of that has trashy lyrics. So does a lot of rock music. You know, it's a lot of disrespect towards women in general, and the lyrics convey them as objects. You know, that's not what God designed the woman to be. She's not just an object. You know, many youth and some adults listen to it because they may like the way it sounds, but those lyrics are still subliminally and spiritually being absorbed. And they can and will affect how you regard sex, which is usually in a manner that I can assure you is not pleasing to God. You know, when I returned back to the Lord, when He called me out of the world, I purged so many CDs that I had bought since the 90s that I'd lost count. And you can do it too. You know, there's good Christian music out there, and it's not all corny like some of you might be thinking. But essentially, you want to purge anything that influences you in a sexual or a violent way. And when I say violent, I mean that. It can instill feelings of anger, bitterness, or some kind of resentment. You know, remember, you are what you consume, and what you feed the mind does come out in your behaviors. You know, what you feed your soul is what it runs on. So you can feed it more of Jesus and his word, or you can continue to feed it trash. You know, same thing with the body. If you eat a bunch of fattening food, you're gonna get fat. If you take better care of yourself, then, you know, you're gonna maintain and you know, even maybe take off weight. So it's the same with the soul, same with the spirit. And suffice to say, I would choose wisely. Another thing about entertainment that bears mentioning is how it can influence what we speak. And that brings us to the next thing the Lord wants us to watch, the tongue. James 3, verses 5 through 12 speak of the untamable tongue. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men. Who have been made in the semblance of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. And so, you know, real quick, going back to entertainment, because it's a good example, this is why I bring this up. There is a lot of content out there where the Lord's name is used in vain. And, you know, that can rub off on people's daily language. You know, they'll use the Lord's name in vain without even realizing it. You know? It's, again, about what you're putting into your spirit. That means using it inappropriately when tired or frustrated or even surprised by something. And I'm not going to give examples on what that is. I think everybody you know, can use discernment on what those words are. They are not righteous at all. But to continue in verse 11, still in James 3, Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt, water, and fresh. That means you can speak bitterly or positively. You can speak life or death to a situation. You know, for example, since I've been doing the promise series, you can't claim God's promises out of one side of your mouth, but then walk around declaring the opposite, because sometimes there is waiting involved. And in the speaking bitter to a situation, you're decreeing it. And so yes, there is truth to the fact that cursing and blessing should not proceed from the same mouth. You know, it's all about spiritual training. And remember, we want to run this race and win it, not continue declaring death. If we're expecting the worst and then declaring it, then that's very well what we may end up with. And at the very least, we're tying up the blessings. And we want to get in the habit of not doing this in what comes because... We know that persecution and other atrocities or circumstances are in our near future, so we want to get in good habits now rather than later. So one last point, and another thing that can come from the tongue, is gossip. You know, I mentioned the offense being on the rise and how we need to watch that, and it's easy to get offended when we feel wrong and when we have others around us. It's a natural event. But we need to be watching what we say. James 4.11 says, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law but a judge. John 7.51, Jesus said, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? Proverbs 10.18 Whoever hides hatred has lying lips and whoever spreads slander is a fool. Proverbs 11:13 says, a talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is of a faithful spirit conceals a matter. Proverbs 18:6 through 7. A fool's lips enter into contention, and his mouth calls for blows. A fool's mouth is his destruction, and his lips are the snare of his soul. And that's what I was just talking about. And, you know, gossip, whether true or untrue, you know, what that boils down to is a matter of trust. I can speak from my own personal experience that it always got back to me. You know, just a personal story years ago, when I worked in an office, I had a relative that worked in the same office as me, and this was someone who I trusted, and yet she would run her mouth to her coworkers, which also happened to be my colleagues. And this was my aunt, and she actually, by the way, claimed to be a Christian, but did this. Needless to say, you know, I'd get talked about in subjects that were of a personal nature, and they were not appropriate for an office environment. They had no business being in an office where everybody dressed up. And they did more than just damage my trust in my aunt when they got back to me. But it also made me distrusting of those coworkers. Who would come to me and tell me she was talking about me because I'd look at it like, well, why didn't you put a stop to it? And I would just give them this strange look. So, you know, in other words, when I found out, I'd be sitting there thinking, well, it takes two. And so you were just as guilty for engaging with her rather than shutting it down. And now I really can't trust you either. And, you know, in the short term, I believe it had done damage to my career because there were times I couldn't get promoted. And I was in the same position one time for like five years and I wanted to be into a new position and I had applied for it twice. And some of the things weren't even true. They were based on assumptions she had made. You know, things from like 10 years ago when I had been in my early 20s living in a different state. You know, word would get around and a lot of the things she told everybody were from before I even worked there. So it was like everybody knew about my personal life or rumors of my personal life in my early 20s before I even started there, and I started there years later, and they used it to judge my character because they already had, she had put a bad taste in their mouth about me, so, you know, it was like, gee, thanks, you know, I'm so glad everyone knows me before I know them, you know, but I think over time I was able to salvage my character because I just, for the better part, kept my head down, and I worked hard and had to prove myself, and I started to question why they would tell me why she was doing it, but still, you know, it was the principle of the whole thing, and it caused unnecessary strife and stress. You know, of course, when confronted later on, you know, she lied, and I think most people would agree they can't stand being gaslighted. And gaslighting, by the way, that's another thing. That's a form of lying. You know, that's knowingly bearing false witness, and we know that that's just as displeasing to the Lord. And, you know... That story, you know, it's all forgiven. It was years ago, but ultimately it destroyed family trust. And nobody really trusts her as much anymore. And we never were close again after that. So, you know, moral of the story gossip is another factor of the tongue we need to keep in check. And if we catch ourselves doing it, we need to be actively repenting because it can damage someone's character, or much worse, in my case, it can damage, you know, someone's reputation. And often those doing it, would not want themselves to be talked about either. You know, it's one thing to be concerned or have consternation, you know, but, you know, if it's in malice, if it's, you know, in a negative way, or if it's, you know, to destroy someone, then it's wrong. And that may not be the person's initial intention, but that can happen, especially in a professional environment. And, you know, when we speak of someone, we may as well just speak well of one another or not say anything at all, because... We're going to have to give an account for every idle word we speak, and that's quoting what Jesus said in Matthew 12, 36. So, you know, guys, these sins that I presented today, they're just scratching the surface on a handful of things the Lord wants us to work on. And in closing, I quote the words of Philippians 2, verses 12 through 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, Not as in my presence only, but now, much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for His good pleasure. His good pleasure, that's for His glory, ladies and gentlemen. And what that means is He wants us to be more like Him, to reflect Him, and less and less about worldly affairs. You want to be making a conscientious effort, and He'll meet you where you are. But you know, to reject and be prideful, you know, that's a haughty spirit and that comes before a fall. And that's not where any of us want to be. You know, as Christians, we're always seeking to improve. So you always want to keep that in the back of your mind. You're doing it for Jesus and the eternal salvation he has purchased and promised to you. That all said, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, that's all I have for you this week. It is my prayer that this podcast today has been a blessing in helping you understand what the Lord wants us to be all doing, and getting right in our lives. I know it started off pretty strong, but I did that so as to get the attention of those who really need to hear the message and the warning. So that said, brothers and sisters, may our Lord Jesus bless you all. I thank you for listening, and may you all have a great weekend and an even greater week. Until next time, stay vigilant out there, everyone.